Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. I love the endorphin hit of having something that smashes, a thread that smashes, a LinkedIn post that lights up with comments and light, you know, there's engagement on it or an email with a really high open rate and click-through rate. All those things are so seductive and it makes you think I've got to move on to the next one. And that's where the, the disconnect comes between that's not how people operate. And so many people, they're going to not see or they're going to not engage. Like there's a consistency to regularity that is boring in a lot of ways for marketers to do, but it's simply, I'm here, I'm present, I'm saying what I do, I'm saying what I'm about, and when the time is right, I'm there. What's up, Aaron? Welcome to the podcast. Excited to finally be here, Dan. I cannot say that enough. Thank you. I want to get into your background, how you got into marketing. I know you have a crazy story, so I want everybody to hear that before we talk about conversion, content, um, behavioral science. So I've lived two, possibly three distinct professional lives. I did not grow up in a religious home. I grew up in a self-consciously atheistic home, very philosophical, very intellectual. And then I had what I would have described at the time, a conversion experience when I was about 18 years old. Um, this was sort of part one of my professional life. Uh, I was a college student. I was in the military. I ended up getting deployed, fell in love with theology, and went on and pursued a graduate degree from a seminary in hermeneutics and homiletics. So the study and interpretation of text, and then public speaking as a fancy word, uh, homiletics for that, that second one. Um, I successfully burned that life down about a decade ago. And we can get more to what burn that life down means. But for the sake of getting into marketing, I got into marketing because I was good with words. I could string together sentences that would make people take action, kind of lead into that idea of conversion that you already alluded to. And I had to eat. So that's really about uh, 10 years ago, I found myself unemployed and essentially unemployable. So I started a blog. I wrote like a madman for like two and a half years and a marketer was born. Yeah, I wanted to get into this behavioral science, but I also want to lean in how you came from this religious background, how much that actually taught you about marketing, behavioral science, because religion has a lot of those aspects of how the mind works, how people think. And I wanted to go into that as well. We can't escape our mental frameworks, right? So we might as well just be honest about our presuppositions. So for me, my religious experience was of a conservative Christian nature. I do not mean politically conservative. What I mean is like Bible believing sort of conservatism uh, with I have very like I have various political leanings, but I want to make that that's sort of like a, a good piece of clarification. Uh, but what that meant was I got exposed to people who were interested in communicating to affect change, which is very different from, I would say, the political and religious climate that a lot of us live in today. 
which is dominated by rallying the base. Preaching to the choir, right, is a phrase a lot of times people use. But I got exposed to people and I got, I, I cut my teeth listening to hours freaking upon hours of sermons, for lack of a better word. Uh, but one of the people that really influenced me was a guy named Tim Keller out of New York City. Also conservative in a theological sense, not in a political sense. Uh, but when this guy released his first book, he went on this speaking tour of like Ivy League. He went to Georgetown. He was at UC Berkeley. It culminated in a presentation at Google headquarters, their authors at Google Forum. And this was a, where I just kind of as such a piece of luck that I threw myself into these sort of people who their goal was to understand what motivated, what drove, what connected to, what sources resonated with the audience they were trying to affect change within. And I'm forever grateful for that sort of emphasis in that, that one professional life that has paid off huge in the professional life that I now live. So people affecting change, how do you think about delivering that in marketing? How do you think of delivering that with your copywriting? How do you think about that delivering with your content? So my seminal like work that shaped me as a marketer is uh, Eugene Schwartz's Breakthrough Advertising. Is that one you're familiar with? Yeah, I love that book. Oh, it's almost like a wink, wink sort of thing when people like you either know, you don't know, and if you know, you freaking know. And there's a line in that where he talks about the copywriter's task is not to create desire. It's to channel existing desire within a sizable enough market from some object to whatever it is you're selling. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's that idea of you're not creating desire. You're identifying the already existing desires in your market and you're you're tapping into their fears, the negative emotions on one hand, and their hopes, what they already want. Like you're not trying to convince anyone to feel a new feeling. You're trying to convince people to the thing that you're afraid is going to happen or the thing you want to happen. I want to connect those emotions to the thing that I'm selling. So you're starting with your audience, your market themselves. And that has made all the difference in the world. And you can imagine how uh, that's very much keyed into also the really, I would say, like healthy persuasion that I was exposed to on the religious, spiritual side of things as well. I took some religion classes in, in school as well. And I wouldn't say I'm religious myself, but I took some religious classes in school. And one of the things that you see in religion is that the people that get converted are usually the people who like have something that's, I wouldn't say like like missing or something that they need in their life or something a hardship that they're having or a pain that they're having then they need failed and that's where religion fails. Like it's hard to change someone whose beliefs are really strong. So like if you have someone who's really strong in a faith, it's hard to say like, hey, come over to my faith. But it's someone who is missing something in their current faith or is missing something in their current life that's where like a, a religion comes in and changes someone. And it's the exact same way with marketing. That's, that's the reality. And some people stumble upon this with product market fit in a way that 
because it came from such a place of their own need. These are some of the best founder stories because it came from such a place of their own need. They intuitively understand how to communicate that on their website, in their copy, in their advertisements, in emails, in pitches. And the struggle uh, on the far side of that is either twofold in that someone that you're brought in to sell a thing, but you're not that actual founder. So you don't have that visceral, historical, experiential understanding, emotional understanding of it. So you've got to unpack that for yourself because that was a real moment of need that other people are also experiencing. So you've got to either take that on board yourself or the fundamental challenge is it's sort of like you ever seen those almost like a bell chart where you, you have really low customer acquisition costs as you hit product market fit. And it's, it's like that old cliche of your mom is the most inexpensive and loyal customer you will ever acquire, right? Because she has bought it. She's darn near free to get on board. And it's like that with a lot of early stage founders where or early stage uh, businesses where you have that immediate hit of like, these people understand why I created this thing. And then it gets more expensive to acquire customers over time because that that emotional distance starts to be created where there isn't the one for one fit and you're not able to adapt quickly enough into what are the new angles and pain points and desires that now exist at a wider market that we're trying to broaden out. And you can really get shipwrecked on, in that curve. This happens a lot. That's why people focus on when people focus on too heavily on acquisition at the beginning, they're really tapping into people who really have that existing pain point in the market today that they're capturing, but they don't focus on content, brand, and stuff like that, who they need to educate the market long-term that they have this problem, but they don't know what to do. And that's where a lot of companies start when they hit that bell curve. The ones that have focused on brand can keep going where the ones that are focused on acquisition start having to pay higher, higher, higher amounts to acquire customers. That's true too, because then you've got the tried and true converts who are on your side and they're coming back, right? I just had a conversation with a large uh, direct consumer brand this week and they, they framed it, two of them. One of them framed it as I'm using retention to subsidize acquisition. And that's such like, especially in today's environment, where customer acquisition costs are getting so much higher on a paid front. It's just the nature of the beast, given everything that's happened over the last two and a half years, from all the struggles inside Facebook ads and now Meta, right, into everyone, like, because I live in the e-commerce world. So it was like fear at the start of 2020. Oh my gosh, this is amazing for all of us. Everybody's inside. They, they've got to order from somewhere. They still got to get things they need. Uh, government was giving away money. So people had more disposable income. And then 21, you sort of ride that out. And then last year turning into, especially this year, it's it's tough. It's really hard out there. And so the idea of I'm subsidizing acquisition through retention means I know new growth is still the primary driver of creating value in my organization. Um, but how do I do that in a really smart way that um, I can accelerate the retention? And it's it's really true, right? It's like what you win people with is what you win them to. And if you win them on a pure discount, direct response sort of advertisement with no brand to substantiate that, no love for the product, um, then you basically have to buy them all over again because that's what you want them to. 
uh, where that strength and brand and especially just a delightful product come in is then, yeah, we, we can actually continue to front that cost and still be profitable. Well, it's kind of like going back to the religious thing, the people who are like the best like advocates of the people who are the ones who deeply believe and have have seen a change in their life. That's why like if you focus on like pre having a great experience for people who are already existing in your, your network, they're going to start talking to other people and be like, I really had this change in my life and they will keep talking to other people. But if you only focus on acquisition and not focus on the experience, then like people are just going to come in they're going to have a bad experience and they're going to leave. And then you're going to have to keep funneling people in until the pot runs dry. Every world has its own like weird underbelly. And so like one of the, the weird underbellies when I was in like the religious world is there are literally growth consultants for churches. And I kid you not, there's incredibly tactical and it literally comes down to things like parking access. How close are you to the nearest interstate? How can you get closer to you know, and it's things like, you know, what sort of food, the greeting experiences, all these really tactical things that are basically geared towards acquisition. But at the end of the day, what you win them with is what you win them to. And you're so right about nothing in any realm replaces folks that have experienced the thing you want. Yeah, they paid for that they bought. And here, here's here's here it is. Here it is. And their expectations were exceeded by their experience. Mm-hmm. That's the delta. That is the sweet spot. What did I expect versus what did I get? When it goes up, word of mouth, everything kicks in. When it goes down, what did I expect versus what I got? Then that's when there's churn. That's when there's low retention, low returning customers. It's that delta that makes or breaks, especially at scale. So one of the biggest challenges with like marketing is that humans are irrational creatures. And if they were predictable, then marketing would be way easier. How do you combat the irrationality of like human? Like, how do you stay on top of your audience that are making these unpredictable decisions in your, on your website or how they experience your product? Like, how do you combat that? A lot of it comes down to regularity and an atmosphere of that made me feel good. What I mean by that is, for example, I hire vendors. I'm a head of marketing. I hire vendors. I hire paid freelancers, creative folks, link builders. Like I I have to, not all this takes place internally. And I was struck once, uh, this is back when uh, I was working at Common Thread Collective as the vice president of marketing, uh, and we were building up our SEO. And so we got to buy links, right? That's just the nature of the, like, listen, that's what you do if you're trying to do good SEO, is you got to nail the on-page experience and the and the actual technical elements of it, and then you got to go build links, right? Uh, I had one bad experience with a link building agency. And the way that I made my next decision, which was like five to sometimes $8,000 a month retainer, I kid you not. And I didn't realize this till afterwards. It was the person who had been active with my accounts on social media and had been in my inbox with a little positive message with no positive reinforcement for me. I completely ignored this person for like three to six months. But when decision time came, 
and I was faced with, well, who am I going to reach out to? That was what actually tipped the scale. And all they had to do was pass the, give me a pitch. Is it bullshit? It's not bullshit. Let's do it. And that's how I think about like a, a multi-channel or omni-channel approach is 95% of the game on SEO so that you're there when people go looking for solutions to their problems on social media, email, all of these tried and true methods. The reason you have to stay current is because that's, that's the irrationality of people is I simply want to stack as many good positive experiences so that I'm just in their mind when the actual need and decision point comes. That's the fundamental. So this, this is why repurposing content and saying the same thing over and over again in just slightly different ways matters so much in marketing. People like always laugh at like McDonald's and all these people do billboards and stuff like that. But I, it's actually one of the most genius things they do because they're not trying to get you to go to McDonald's today. They're just trying to get you to go to McDonald's when you're thinking of food. Like, so it's like, they just want to be in your mind wherever you go, whether it's on your screen, on your television, on your stuff. They're not trying to say, today, I want you to go eat a, a burger. They want to say like, when you have the decision to go to a fast food restaurant, you pick McDonald's. And it's so different than so many of the marketers that I know. And I get it because I'm prone to this as well. I love the endorphin hit of having something that smashes, a thread that smashes, a LinkedIn post that lights up with comments and light, you know, there's engagement on it or an email with a really high open rate and click through rate or a blog post that like, ah, oh, finally can hit page one. And we got this spike in traffic. All those things are so seductive and it makes you think I've got to move on to the next one. And that's where the, the disconnect comes between that's not how people operate. And so many people, they're going to not see or they're going to not engage. Like there's a consistency to regularity that is boring in a lot of ways for marketers to do. And it doesn't have the same endorphin kick as getting something that smashes and then try to chase that next one. But it's simply, I'm here, I'm present, I'm saying what I do, I'm saying what I'm about, and when the time is right, I'm there. And that's the kind of stuff that has really paid off for me as a personal brand and also for the brands that I help. That's why I was relating it back to that person who came to your inbox like 30 times, or if you're posting on social media 100 times, and then when the time comes, oh, I need a content marketer, I think about that person, I need a a person who's good rated at social media, let me go to that person. That's what why personal branding is matters so much. That too, yeah. And especially because the personal brand side of things, people just like connecting with people way more than they like connecting with faceless entities like brands. What is a marketing hill you would die on? Organic traffic is the tide that lifts all shifts. And by organic traffic, I primarily mean a mixture of rising non-branded search terms that are driving traffic to your website and about 25 to 30% branded search terms. That should be the centerpiece of damn near every business. I'll just, yeah, online is organic is the tide that lifts all ships. I'm experiences now with my newsletter, for example, like the reason why going to do paid is much easier for my newsletter right now is because like I'm subsidizing the cost through like all, all I've done on social and stuff that is coming organically to my newsletter. So like 
instead of like having all my traffic come from paid, I'd have like over 50% coming from paid. So then my like blended CAC is like now very low to acquire one newsletter subscriber where like the other. Yeah. If I just did paid, it would have been, it's, it's a hard to justify in the long term that that's a great strategy. So I could keep having to pay to get a new customer. Again, it's that kind of seductive thing of it hits so fast and you have to have delayed gratification in a lot of ways that now you can, you can speed it up. I also, one of the other hills I would die on is SEO wins don't take six months to a year. And a lot of practitioners or agencies will try to peddle that idea of it's a long-term investment. I think you can get it to hit a lot faster if you're smart about it, you know what you're doing, but it is still delayed gratification compared to paid efforts or collabs or influencer, uh, affiliate, like all of those things will hit faster. And when you feel that hit, it's easy to go push on them and it's so easy to ignore what is a slower burn, but we're going to build up this base of evergreen. And that is going to fuel everything else. That's how SEO works. That's how like great social works. I mean, that's how great organic works. That's why organic is a channel because it's that slow burn. But once you start hitting it at a scale where people are searching for you or people heard about you on social or people heard you, that's like, it's subsidizing all other things that you do, but it's not going to happen. It could happen quicker than you think, but it does, it, it is something that you got to be patient. But that's why in anything is like you need quick wins to keep, because you need revenue in the door today, but you also need to play in the long game so you could survive. That's why like marathon runners, like they do training cycles. And once they do the race, then they like go back slow the cycle and then go fast hard for a couple months and then they they slow down again till the next race and it's like this like whole process that they go through i wrote a tweet once that was nowhere near as popular as i thought it deserved to be and it was something along the lines of twitter is basically people at mile two of a marathon and the idea was like that's when you share about stuff this thing hit this is going off i'm really excited this is a big win and it's such, it's so, it, I keep using this word easy. It's so easy to fall into that trap of, okay, so I'm going to chase this next one. I'm going to chase this next one. I'm going to chase this next one. Because you don't, you, it's, we're just not naturally inclined to think in those long-term, this is a marathon. Pace yourself. Put in the work. Go slow to go fast. Yes. If someone, a young marketer came up to you today and you were going to give them advice. What's one piece of advice you would give them that they would come back to you, say one or two years later and be like, thank you for that. Number one, consistency is a superpower. When I started 10 years ago, I absolute, like it, it was from zero. Like I didn't have a blog till I was 31. I didn't join Twitter till I was 32 or 33. Like these things that felt like, oh my gosh, all these 20 under 20s or 30 under 30s folks, right? They're so far ahead of me, miles ahead of me. What I did was I showed up every day and I tried to take one step forward. And there's there's a, because the second piece of advice is attention to detail. Consistency is a superpower, attention to detail. Miracles in my professional and personal life have happened 
based on those two factors. I just show up every day and I'm trying to give somebody a dime for their nickel to give back more than I take. And there's nothing sexy about that. There's not a lot of big moments in that, but it stacks. And there is a, there's an element of reputation that comes into play about that consistency. Because if all you ever do is show up having done the thing you said you were going to do day in and day out, you will beat 90 to 95% of everyone out there because it's so rare to have that quality. It re- the more I'm around this game, the more rare I realize that is. And what a gift it was that I just had enough hunger and desperation to simply plod one foot in front of the next. It's funny you said that because I play college football and during games, we used to be graded on like how well we did. And the players that were the best players weren't the players that got like an A grade one game and then the next game got a C. It was the players who showed up and got B pluses and A minuses every single game. So then when you played, you relied on that person next to you instead of like, is this person going to have a great day to today and then a terrible day tomorrow? Like, who is this person going to be next to me? So like, I always liked the person who would show up and like get 89s or like 90s most of the time and someone who got like a 99 and then the next day came back and got an 82 and then got a 95 and then got a 83 because I didn't know who they were going to be that day. So I didn't know, do I need to help them more today or do I need to not help them? So I really believe in consistency. There's a gravity to that that you're just describing where you almost get pulled into someone's orbit. And gravity is such a good word for it because it's it's a force of nature and it's it's not something you're aware of. You're just pulled towards it. But the second half of that is, is also true. That other piece of attention to detail. Like I am myopically, sometimes probably to my own detriment, focused on the thing that I'm doing. It is the only thing that exists until it's done. I mean that in a way of it's it can be to my detriment because I won't pay attention to other opportunities. I'll say no to a lot of things. And uh, sometimes I'll, I'll just put more than is necessary into this. Like the, the other phrase I really like is uh, perfect is the enemy of done or something like that. The worst performing market material you'll ever create is the stuff you don't put out. That's another way to think about it. You just got to ship. You do. You have to. At a certain point, it's not done. It's just due. And so you got to get it out there. But until that line, there is an attention to detail and love and commitment to the craft of marketing and honing the words down to the visuals, down to like line breaks of how something flows to that. It's so again, it's so rare that you will separate yourself from everyone else because they're just not willing to do it. That's why I think like the the parallel about football, how I think about it is like, that's why like, if you have someone who's consistent on your team, for me, I was able to just focus on my tasks and do my best work because I knew the people next to me were going to do their best work, be consistent. When I had someone on my team who wasn't consistent, then I took away from my perfect like focus because I'm like, the team has to win. So I have to at least help this person a little bit. So like, that's why it's so weird to have someone on your team who's consistent, who's also focused on attention to detail. So then you have two people that are just like in their swim lanes, doing things together. 
the last thing I want to do is where people could find you. Where could people find you online? Well, I am I'm low hanging fruit on the socials. I'm at Aaron Orndorf. There is not very many of me out there, so I'm pretty easy to find. I am currently head of marketing at Recart. We're a Shopify SMS app focused on efficiency above all else. Came into there about, gosh, only two, three months ago. Big, big bet in my career uh, was to jump into this wild and fierce world of e-commerce SaaS. Again, I was at Shopify for about four years and, and now back into that SaaS side of things. Uh, so you really want to butter me up and get into my world. Um, say something nice about me on the Twitters or LinkedIn. I'm super easy to find or just comment on anything that I put out about SMS at this point. Cause I'm trying to get my way into that world for sure. Well, thank you so much for being in this episode. This was great. I loved your story. And then also love talking about marketing from that story. So thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure, Dan. And, um, uh, yeah, I'll come back anytime. We got lots more we could jump into. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.